My name is Patrick. Uh, I am one of the members here, and um, I'm glad to be with you. And we're going to continue in this uh, series, uh, The Good Life, where Jesus is teaching Sermon on the Mount uh, from Matthew and going through these series of statements where he's talking about things that people have heard uh, and then teaching more on the heart of it and, and what uh, those sayings really meant. Uh, so we're going to continue in that. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 33 through 37. And uh, we'll just read that first uh, and then stop and pray for some help. So Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 37. This is Jesus speaking the whole time. He says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Let's pray. Lord, we are trusting you this morning that as we've asked you over and over again, that it would be you who is speaking to us and teaching us. It would be you that is getting our attention. It would be you that's working in our hearts and our minds to bring us to yourself, to make us more like Jesus, to show us Jesus in a way that we can understand and that it would be you who is working in us to help us to believe Jesus, to trust him, to know him, to enjoy him this morning. And we just confess our need for you in all these things. We know that apart from work that you're doing, we're just here talking and taking up space. So please help us. Please bring glory to Jesus in us and through us in each of our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, as Hans has been teaching us, uh, which by the way, uh, going four chapters all at once and that overview that Hans did in the very first sermon of this series, uh, I told him afterwards, thank you for it. And, uh, and I know what a hard job that is, bringing everyone up to speed in one Sunday uh, to the Sermon on the Mount was a big job, and he, he did it well, and, and I know I've been learning, and particularly where Jesus is pressing over the last several weeks through these uh, statements of, you've heard that it was said, you heard that it was said, uh, I know that I personally have felt some real precise kind of work <laughs> that the Lord's doing in me, uh, where Jesus is calling out particular attitudes of our hearts. Uh, where, where we need to seek him for more than just some kind of outward appearance of holiness, but instead really from the heart, following and trusting and obeying him. So uh, I'm grateful for this series. And so this morning, here we are in this passage. And um, to be honest with you, uh, this is one of those ones that I think, maybe, I, I don't know. I mean, we're trying to be honest this morning because that's the passage would you confess with me that this is one of those passages many times where you were like, okay, anyways, next, you know? Like we just came off of 
uh, anger in your heart is like murder, like, I've, okay, I should be in jail. Uh, We should all be in jail. Uh, Talking about uh, adultery and uh, divorce and, and lust and these kinds of things. And, and there's some hard stuff Jesus is getting at. And then he goes, hey, no more promising. Let's just yes, yes, no, no, good. And it almost feels like you can come in and be like, all right, I won't say I promise anymore. I would love to do that anyway, <laughs> you know. But then what's, what's happening in us when we're just going, okay, I won't say I promise. I won't say I promise by the earth, which is the Lord's footstool. I never did that anyway, you know. It almost feels like this, this could be a bit of a gimme. But I want to invite you this morning to, as Jesus is always doing, get underneath the surface, get to the heart, and, and see what is the real issue that he's diagnosing and he's dealing with here. Um, and, and it's hard. So, uh, what, what Jesus is saying here, again, that you've heard that it was said to those of old. So what Jesus is always doing when he says that, you've heard that it was said, is referring to some kind of uh, statement from the law, from the Old Testament law, or just some tradition that they had. And a lot of times the traditions would go beyond the law, or they would even kind of play with the law, but not really fulfill the law. But it's the tradition. It's how we do things. So again, he's doing the same thing. Again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now what he's referring to here is two different passages. There's Leviticus 19.12 and there's Numbers 31 and 2. So the first one, Leviticus 19.12 says this, you shall not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. So that's obviously the Lord speaking there. Don't swear falsely by my name and profane it. Then again, in Numbers chapter 30, verses 1 and 2, it says this, Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes of the people of Israel, saying, This is what the Lord has commanded. If a man vows a vow to the Lord, or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do all that proceeds out of his mouth." So this is the saying that Jesus is going, you've heard that it was said to those of old, don't swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. And if you make a vow to the Lord or swear by an oath to bind yourself by a pledge, don't break your word. Do everything that proceeds out of your mouth. And of course, we know that the law is good. We know that it's good, that it served the purpose that, the God, that God initiated it to serve. And so it's good. And we know that the law is a reflection of God's holiness, his perfect character. So when God is commanding his people to be honest and to do everything they say they're going to do, we can look to God and say, well, God does that. We know for sure that God is speaking those commands out of his own character. He's commanding honesty and a commitment to the truth out of his own honesty and commitment to the truth. So, From the very beginning, we know that God is speaking out of his own heart commands. We even have uh, later on, just to refer to it, we've been referring to it, that the book of James is uh, in a lot of ways a reflection of the Sermon on the Mount. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, said in James 5.12, But above all, my brothers, above all, this is in the fifth chapter, 
of his letter. I, I still even struggle to understand why he would say above all. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. We're going to get into the context of what Jesus is saying, what James was reiterating to the church. Uh, But first, let me just say this. We know that Jesus perfectly obeyed the law. Amen? We just know that he did that. Okay? Everything he did was the right thing to do. If you can just put it like that. But we know something better about his obedience than just some kind of outward obedience, the right actions, the right performance. We know that Jesus was better than just a picture of obedience. It was also inwardly perfect. Not just outwardly perfect, but inwardly perfect. From his heart, he lived in perfect accordance with the heart of the law. So, he, so Jesus didn't waste any time finding loopholes, finding advantages that he could take where, okay, the law said this, but it didn't say this. And everyone would go, well, I'm, I'm sure that the heart of it would say you shouldn't do that. Well, but it didn't say that, so I'm good. Jesus didn't waste any time playing with the law like that. He not only obeyed the law outwardly, but he obeyed it inwardly from the heart. It was his law, after all. It was flowing from him to the people in order to reflect his character in the world. And now here he is in the world, perfectly outwardly, perfectly inwardly, obeying everything that he had commanded. And this is the obedience that we are called to which is at the same time better and terrifying, right? Because we know us. We know us. We know how we like to play games. We know how we like to look for loopholes. We know how much easier it is to obey when people are watching than when they're not. Sorry. So this is the obedience we're called to, not, not the begrudging kind of okay, fine obedience. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, fine. It's not my desire. It's not my heart. It's not, it's not really the trajectory that I'm aiming myself on in life. But if you say that, and if you're God, okay, fine. Instead, the obedience that we're called to is yes, I love and trust you, Lord. If this is your way, then this is my way. It's yes, Lord, not okay, fine. And if any of you have children, you know the difference. I know we all were once children, but if you forgot what it was like, and then you had some babies, and you told the baby to do something, you know the difference between okay, fine, and yes. And the difference is the heart, right? You can see the battle raging inside, the as they go to do it, right? Or they're like, okay, yeah, and then they go and do it. And every time the yes happens, you're like, it's working. And then they talk you out of it, okay. 
So there's the okay, fine, then there's the yes, Lord, from the heart. And, and the reason why I wanted to stop, just immediately hit the brakes and talk about the heart of it and the difference between the begrudging obedience and the agreement obedience is that we've already, you know, we've just taken this quick look at Jesus and, and just briefly talked about his honesty, his commitment to the truth. And then 1 John 2, 6 says this, another statement that is, that's better than what we might have otherwise offered of ourselves, but is just such, a, such an immense thing to commit yourself to. Whoever says he abides in him, Jesus, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. I mean, gosh, I mean, it's like, just as a Christian person, I know I've, I've said this before to some of you, but if we could just stop ourselves for a moment and not, not be a preacher in a congregation, but just be a room full of people who care, a room full of people who are, who are struggling to, to be who God's called us to be, to believe who God is and believe in the life he's called us to and to seek him for all of it and to seek his power and to seek to love him and to honor him and to love others and just be the people of God. If we can just be that in a room together right now, to know that Jesus both outwardly and inwardly, perfectly, always obeyed the commands that he gave to his people and that we are now, if we say we're in him, that we're called to walk in the same way in which he walked. It's like, well, clearly we need help. Clearly we just need help. And I'm hoping that I can encourage you in that this morning. We need the power of the Spirit of Christ if we're going to live like him from the heart. So let's keep talking about the heart of this command. I think that we, we can sum up what Jesus is saying here by, by just a, a kind of a clear statement that says, Jesus wants us to be people of the truth. He wants us to be people of the truth. Not, not people who use the truth or people who just say things that are true, but to be people of the truth. And I know that you can hear the difference. Because again, there's the outward and there's the inward. If, if it's only about outward obedience that Jesus is looking for, then you go around and you make sure that you only say things which are true. Easy things, hard things, whatever. You just always say things which are true, which is not a bad thing. But if you are a person of the truth, now you're trying to live honestly. Live on, not just say things that are true, but live honestly. Being a person of the truth. And why? Why are we people of the truth? Because Jesus is the truth. He is the truth. John 14, 6, I am the way, the life, the, sorry, the truth and the life. Jesus said, I am the truth. 
Isaiah 53, 9, 500 years before Jesus stepped foot on the earth, says, And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit found in his mouth. This is Jesus. This is his way. That even under the strongest pressure, no deceit found in his mouth. He is the truth. We're people of the truth. Matthew 12, 34, he says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And, and I'll tell you, only truth flows from the heart of Jesus. Everything he said was true because everything in his heart was true. It was the abundance of his heart that he spoke out of. And it was always true all the time. So truth belongs to Jesus. Jesus is the truth. We're people of the truth. So if we're connecting dots here, then you could say it like this. Being a person of truth is about devotion to Jesus. Not just saying things that are correct. Being devoted to Jesus because the truth belongs to Jesus and we belong to Jesus. So living honestly, being a person of the truth is about devotion to Jesus. This is the heart of the command. Not to just avoid overcommitment, but to commit yourself to Jesus in such a wholehearted way that you don't feel the need to play games with the truth. Truth isn't something to manipulate or to make use of at your convenience. Truth is something that belongs to Jesus, something to embrace, something to submit to, something to enjoy, something to rely on. Truth. Now the sinful heart issue that Jesus is speaking to here is the habit that we have of having kind of this flippant relationship with the truth. A casual relationship with the truth. When is it useful to us? When is it not? It's about not only loving it when it fits our agenda in a moment. So people in Jesus' day knew that they should not make some kind of oath in the name of the Lord and then break that oath. But... But Leviticus and Numbers didn't say anything about keeping promises made in the name of the temple or a promise made in the name of the earth or my own life. It didn't say anything about that. It just said, if you make a commitment in the name of the Lord, don't break it and profane the name of the Lord, right? So they knew that in order to attach some commitment to the name of the Lord would be the highest form of commitment. And if you did that, everyone would, would have known how deadly serious you were and how, how honest you were being in that moment to say, in the name of the Lord, I will do this thing. You'd be like, whoa, okay, bro, okay, we trust you then. But if you go, on my life, I will do this thing, it's like, well, pfft. I guess he's somewhat serious, but he's not willing to take it all the way. 
This was the kind of game they played. It was a promise, but not like a whole promise. Not the, not the greatest promise. They're playing games with the truth. So they thought, if they swear by those things, then they're not bound as seriously to keep their word. And, and if you don't think that we do this today, you're just not paying attention, right? If you think this isn't part of the way we talk, part of the way we relate to each other, then you're just not paying attention. Like, yeah, I mean, I said I would do it, but it's not like I promised. You know that one? I didn't, I didn't promise. Or, or take the inverse where somebody goes, you promised that you would do it. Like, did I? Did I promise? Why are you even worried? If, if you said you would do it, but you can't remember if you promised? Why is that even in play? Right? Because then that just shows that your real commitment was not to the truth, to integrity, to doing what you said, but just like, is it going to work out that way? I hope so. If it does, great. But if it doesn't, I mean, not on the hook. It's not like I promised. Did you tell him you were going? Well, I implied I was going, but it's not like I signed in blood. You, you know that one, right? It's not like I signed in blood. Like anyone does that. A bunch of vampires running around promising each other. <laughs> of course, every time you say you're going to do something, lawyers aren't jumping out of bushes with contracts, you know? It, but why do we say that? Because we want to go, well, I mean, I, I just said I would do it. I didn't like promise I would do it. How do we all know the difference? It's a game. It's a game we play because we don't want to be nailed down. We don't want to be committed. We don't want to be attached to some kind of binding oath. So what Jesus is getting at here is, okay, there's how you talk and there's the games you play with the truth. When is it convenient and when is it not convenient to do what you said you were going to do? And if you're a person of the truth, then what you really value here is the integrity is the honesty, is the Christ-likeness. That's what you love. That's what you're aiming for. It's to be like Jesus, to honor Jesus, to trust Jesus, not, not to protect your calendar. So when you say you're going to do something and somebody asks, you promise? You promise? The question is, why do they feel the need to add this extra layer to your commitment and why do you feel the need to give it? Why do we feel that need? It's because humanity in general has a kind of loose, playful relationship with the truth. Honesty is so binding. It's so restrictive. Once you, make, once you say you're going to do something, you are boxed in. Don't box me in. So then a lot of us just live where we just go, I never say I'm going to do anything. Because if I say I'm going to do it, it's like then people are going to go nuts and expect me to do it. <laughs> That's how that works. But we don't like that. We like wiggle room for ourselves. We want everyone else to be 
all in with no out, but we would like to just play with it. That's just, the, that's just human condition. That's just how we are, if we're being honest about ourselves. Do you want everyone else in your life to be fully committed to the truth with all integrity and honesty and commitment? Of course you do. When someone commits to do good for you, don't you want them to see it through to its fullest potential? Yeah, because then that's an expression of love for you. I'm committed to you. I love you. I said I would do this. I'm doing it. I wasn't afraid to say I would do it. And I'm not afraid to give myself over to do it. Because I love you. I'm committed. But that's hard. It's hard for that to be a two-way street. And of course, Jesus... Jesus is the truth even when we are utterly dishonest. And this is what's just so miraculous about his character. What's so completely other than and holy about his character is that in all circumstances, whether it's reciprocated or not, Jesus is both outwardly and inwardly completely true. And we're called to be like him. So playing these games where you swear by this or swear by that and there's different degrees of seriousness about the commitment and Jesus is going, just don't do that at all. That's what he's saying. When he says, I say to you, don't take an oath at all. He's saying, don't play that game. Don't play games with the truth. Don't, don't have different strata of commitment. Just be a person of the truth. Be honest from the heart. And that's a Christ-like thing and a Christ-honoring thing. Jesus is saying that his disciples should be in such a committed relationship with the truth so willing to extend ourselves to others for their good that it doesn't scare us to make simple commitments based on integrity and love. Just simple. I don't mean simple as in easy, but straightforward. Straightforward commitments. Yes. No. Just simple. Not, yes, I mean, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The really evasive kind of things we tag on as we're like walking away. Totally, bro. I mean, you know, for sure. He's like, yeah, he totally committed. Like, well, as far as you heard. Will you help me? Yes, I will. A person of the truth saying a thing that is true and that they're committing themselves even sacrificially towards. Will you help me? Yes, I will. How about this one? Will you help me? No, I won't. <laughs> that one's more complicated, right? Better to say no, I won't than yes, I will, and then not do it, right? But then when you examine no, no, I won't, no, I won't commit myself to your good in this way, then you have this whole different layer, 
that you have to examine in your heart, right? Why am I unwilling to commit to that? Why am I unwilling to extend myself in that way? There's being like Jesus in our honesty, and then there's being like Jesus in our sacrificial love of others. And that's why the scriptures say that his promises are always yes. They're always yes towards us. Everything he's committed himself to do sacrificially for our good. I mean, Jesus enthroned on high, stepping into earth, becoming like a man and being obedient to the point of death for our sake, to the point of death, being buried in the ground for our sake. That's what he said yes to. So when someone goes, hey, you own a truck, can you help me? You go, uh, uh, I mean, it's just not, it's just not Christ-like, right? And this, this isn't the guilt trip, like if you own a truck. Because I've been there where I was like, that's a sweet truck, I want to buy it. But then everyone's moving. <laughs> like, I know, I know what it's like. So we're being careful to not say you can't when you really just won't. Either do the thing or confess that you don't want to, but playing games with the truth just can't be an option. That just can't be an option. So if it's either say yes and maybe do it, say no, because I just don't feel like it. Or say yes, but don't do it. Say yes and don't do it cannot be an option for the people of God. Committing yourself to something, but not being committed to the thing just can't be an option because it's not Christ-like. Because it's not Christ-like. In the same way that all these other things just can't be an option Having bitter anger towards people, murderous, sinful anger towards people just can't be an option. It's not Christ-like. He says, don't be this way. Don't harbor this in your heart. That's not, that's not for us. Having lust, desiring things that God says are not yours to have just can't be an option for us. We need to be content with every way that God's blessed us rather than discontent and grasping for things that belong to others. Divorcing, making a commitment to something God has instituted and then for our own comfort or convenience saying no to it. This is just not the way of Christ. It can't be an option and in the same way, lacking integrity and commitment to the truth and a commitment to the commitments you've made, just cannot be an option. So then let's talk about the obedience. There's the heart of it. There's the honoring Christ, enjoying Christ, seeking to be like Christ. This is the heart of it. The obedience. John 16.13 talks about how the Holy Spirit will teach us and help us and that we can rely on Him. We can rely on Him. If we're walking by the Spirit, 
And the Spirit is leading us and teaching us and convicting us of what is good, what's Christ-like, then when we come face to face with the option of a commitment or not, to do the thing or not, to be honest or not, the Holy Spirit inside of us will always say yes. Always say yes. Even to the point where you feel like, this just doesn't work well for me. It's hard to even arrange my life in this way. And we'll, we'll get to it later on in Jesus' teaching, but saying stuff like, do not deny a person who would borrow from you? How do you even live like that? If somebody wants something from you, even if they steal it from you, give them more than they stole from you? That's so impractical. How do you even do that? To the, to the point of sacrifice The Holy Spirit will say yes inside of us to a commitment to integrity and the good of others. Galatians 5, 16 through 26. It's a longer one, so I'm going to read it. Galatians 5. Do you guys have it on the screen already? 5, 16 through 26. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. I know a particular struggle for some of you. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, of, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. If we're walking by the Spirit, the integrity of Christ inside of us will lead us to have a serious commitment to the truth because we have a serious commitment to the truth. To Jesus. One more passage that's a little bit longer. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 10. We're talking about being people of the truth, talking about being like Jesus and honoring Jesus in our honesty, in our commitment to truthfulness. Look at the emphasis on truth in the life of the church. So as we're just living alongside each other, Engaged in one another's lives for each other's good. That's what the church is. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 10. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that's Jesus, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain 
to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves to sensuality, greed, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through its deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. A commitment to the truth from the heart for each other is meant to be the life of the church. This is how we love each other. You notice it gives this big list of sins and ways that we shouldn't be living. And then it says, instead, instead of all of this mess and pain and sin and abuse, instead, each one of us ought to be honest with each other. That's the reflection of Christ in us. So this Matthew 5, 33 through 37 just either say yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil or comes from the evil one, Jesus says. Kind of feels like, whoa, an overcommitment or, or a lack of seriousness about a commitment is evil and from evil? Yeah, because it's the opposite of Jesus. It's the opposite of Jesus and the life that we're called to. So with all of this, here's, here's what we land on. Jesus is the truth. We belong to Jesus. We are people of the truth. Jesus is the truth. We belong to Jesus. We are people of the truth. And in every way, we see Jesus come into the world and make the ultimate form of commitment to us, which is to lay his life down for us, to be shamed, to be abused, to be neglected, to be lied to, to be betrayed, to be murdered in this ultimate form of commitment to which Jesus said, yes, 
He said, yes, for our sake. And he saw the commitment through to the end. He said, yes, and he did it. In this way that we see Jesus' commitment to the truth, to integrity, to honesty from the heart, we are called to be people of the truth. So the question then, with every word we say, is not, what will this cost me? That's a, that's a self-preserving question, right? What will this cost me? Instead, the question should be, how can this honor Christ? These words that I'm speaking, this commitment that I'm making from my heart, am I, am I withholding something from myself in this? Is this a half-hearted commitment, a dishonest commitment? Am I, am I playing games with the truth and how I even make the commitment? I didn't promise. I didn't sign anything. Instead, it's how can this honor Christ? And you remember, Christ isn't honored just by outward appearances. You, you remember in the, in the old days before Jesus came into the world, they were still having festivals they were still saying things. They were still offering sacrifices. And God looks down and says, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. The question we ask ourselves with every word is not, can they be trusted to accept the truth? Because then you may not say it. Instead, it's, can I be trusted to tell the truth? When we know that we belong to Jesus, listen, you don't have to be afraid of honesty. Even when honesty makes us look really bad. Like the, the famous preacher Charles Spurgeon said, look, if anybody says anything bad about you, don't worry, it's worse than they know. Right? What could you say about me that is worse than the truth? Even when honesty makes us look bad, we don't have to be afraid because Jesus stands at the right hand of the Father interceding for us perpetually. Holding us, keeping us, forgiving us. So if I'm honest and it makes me look bad, people only know the truth. I'm not afraid of the truth. Jesus knows the truth and he loves me. Jesus knows how bad it is. He still accepts me. Jesus knew what, a, what an absolute betrayer of him I lived my life as and then he welcomed me. When I was still a sinner, he died for me. What, what kind of truth would I be afraid of? And, and I'll be honest, for from, from myself and I think for many of us, the fear of honesty is in the realm of reputation management. We're afraid that we're not very much like Jesus, 
So then we have to be dishonest in order to paint a picture that doesn't look like us. Even to the point of doing unchristlike things to convince ourselves and others that we are very much like Christ. It's an ironic twist that happens inside of us, right? But, but we don't have to be afraid of truth because Jesus is the truth and Jesus died to overcome everything about us that's dishonest. We don't have to be afraid to be honest. So Jesus is warning here against relying on anything but him for our security, for our reputation, for our relationships. Everything you could stand on that is not Jesus is sand. It's just sand. Jesus is the truth. We belong to Jesus. We are people of the truth. Final statement about this. The goal in everything for the life of the believer is to magnify, glorify, and enjoy Jesus Christ. Amen? And a commitment to him is a commitment to the truth. We can live this out together. We really can. If we're walking by the Spirit from the heart in a commitment to Jesus.